Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right another week, and we've got our first home game in a month to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 437. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with Chris McPherson to dive into what he thinks are the biggest issues surrounding this Eagles team going into week 17 against the Saints. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennell and I dive into this game from an X's and O's standpoint to get a better sense of the biggest themes, the matchups, the concepts that matter in this game against New Orleans. Before we get there, one thing I want to make sure we hit on Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a question. You know the deal by now. Best way to throw us your support on this show as we get close to the new year. Also, I caught up with Eagles tight ends coach Jason Michael this week over on Eagles Game Plan. Here are a few bites from that segment we call Tape Study, breaking down some tape with Jason Michael. We're going to talk about Dallas Goddard making his return to the Eagles offense this past week against the Cowboys. What was it like having number 88 back in the lineup? I think it's anytime you get a you know a, a great player like Dallas. You know, just to add back into uh, to what we're trying to do as a team, what we're trying to do offensively. You know, it's it's obviously a great you know for us as a as an offense. Um, you know, the thing about Dallas, you know, he's just the leadership that he brings. You know, and he's been able to do that. You know, throughout even you know in the five week stretch that he's not been in. Mm. But um, you know, just to be able to get him back out, I know he was antsy to get back out. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to, you know, to see him come out and be able to produce and, and, and help us offensively uh, and help this team. Yeah, one thing we've said about Dallas so, so often is that guys that big to move the way he does getting in and out uh, of this break. That, that's really kind of what sets him apart from, from his peers around the NFL, right? I think exactly. And, you know, you're always looking for guys run, catch. But, you know, what Dallas brings is, is you know, a complete package from the standpoint of being able to block and protect, too. Yep. And when you have a guy like that on the field that can do all of those, you don't have to sub in and out. And, and you're more true to what you can do to make defenses be honest in, in what he has to has to has to cover. And that's the thing is that you come out in those three tight end sets and most people would think, OK, run game, maybe something underneath. But you have that ability to attack all three levels of the field. That just speaks to the uniqueness of the versatility in that room. It sure does. It sure does. And I think, you know, with with these guys and, you know, we talk about Dallas coming back and it's a, it's you know great to have him back. But I think it says a lot about Grant Calcaterra, Jack Stoll, Tyree Jackson in terms of what they were able to do. And, and, you know, it speaks a lot about, you know, the depth and continued development of these guys as we go. Yeah, what have you seen from Jack? We see him come up with the catch here, second year in the league, former undrafted guy uh, out of Nebraska. What have you seen so far from him so far in his career? Well, I think Jack's, you know, he's, you know, he's that that grunt work type of guy and has mm-hmm. been that, you know, when you're in the room with Dallas and a lot of the things that are going to go to him. Um, but I think in these last few weeks, you've seen, you know, the, the, the ability for him not just to be a, a run blocker, a pass protector. You know, he's been able to be efficient and, and, and made some plays in the pass game. And I just, you know, think the continued development of him. And then, you know, you start adding guys like Grant the same way, you know, a younger guy. But I think that speaks to this organization, to Howie, to Nick, in terms of what we're trying to do to develop players in the instance that you lose a Dallas Goddard for a few weeks. And for a guy like Grant, I mean, at SMU, at Oklahoma, he was pass catcher first and foremost, right? So trying to get him to coach him up to where he can be this kind of impact player in the run game, what has that been like over these last few months? It's been good. And, and I think that goes back to even with Dallas, with Jack. You, yep. know, you go in the room as a young guy, you see – you know, what these guys are doing, you know, the, you know, how well-rounded they are and the, the things that they do. And as a young guy, you don't want to be the guy that stands out. Okay. And, and, and it's easy as a coach to sit here and say things, but you know, when you have guys like 
Dallas who have the experience, guys like Jack, and, and for them to be able to be in practice and what those guys do to help the development of the young guys is awesome. Dallas, I think, had like 85 catches his final year at South Dakota State. So to be able to say, hey, I made that transition, I guess it's easier for those young guys to follow suit. Sure, and that's, you know, as a tight end position, you know, that's, that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Again, like we talked about Dallas, you want guys that can do – multiple things, wear multiple hats. And the more they can do, allow us to get into 12, 13 personnel, two and three tight end sets to, to do those things. And again, for that entire segment, be sure to watch the entire Eagles game plan show, which will go out on Friday, PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all Eagles digital channels. That said, let's go talk to the guy that's in charge of a lot of those Eagles digital channels. Now let's talk with Chris McPherson. It's time now to go three and out. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, let's get things rolling here with three and out as we welcome in Chris McPherson. C-Mac, I trust you and your family had a, uh, a Merry Christmas. And we a, did. A happy Thank you very season. much. Likewise to you. Thank so, you. Hope uh, little Francis had an amazing Christmas. Got he everything did. he wanted. He got, so. he got everything he wanted. Uh, the Spider-Man Legos uh, at the top of the list. Nice. We, we made sure the big man came through for him. That's, so. what, that's what I wanted to buy and get him. Uh, so. See, you should have been better last year. <laughs> uh, that's what it all comes down to. Everybody's watching. Um, but that said, uh, let's get to uh, item number one on your list. What's the, the biggest thing on the top of your mind? We're, so we're transitioning to the new year. Yeah. And what does everyone do at this time of year? New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to ask you for yours, Fran. You can keep it nice and quiet. Okay. But, you know, by the end of January, most people are going to fail at them. So I'm going to present this week our three and out through the prism of the most likely resolutions that will not come true. Okay. Okay. So not necessarily that this is going to happen per se, but, you know, bear with me here. Number one that we're going to spend more time with family and friends, okay? We get together for the holidays. We see everyone. You feel nice, warm, and cuddly, or maybe you realize you don't want to see yep. your aunts and uncles. There's and you a reason say, why you, know, you only see these people, well, I'm sure. Yeah. Exactly. So, number one, going here, spend more time with family and friends. You know, I don't think that people have realized that the Eagles have basically been away from Lincoln Financial Field for the past month, mm. and they nearly pulled off a three-game stretch on the road, you know, at the Giants, at the Bears, and at the Cowboys, getting three wins if they only convert one more red zone possession. So close to getting it done. So great news is the Eagles will finish the regular season with two games at home at Lincoln Financial Field, and then with one more win, they'll be there throughout the entirety of the NFC playoffs. Now, interesting, maybe get your take on this. Were you watching any of the games on on Saturday before I dabbled. hours? Yes, I, I dabbled. Yep. Vikings Giants. Yes. Okay, following that one before hours, uh, I was slacking with our our uh, seasonal associate, editorial associate Sage Hurley, and you know we're back and forth about the game, watching how close it is, and part of me is like. I'm trying to figure out what's best for the Eagles mm. in this situation. Is it do you want to see the Giants get in? Do you want to see the Vikings, you know, get knocked back so that it helps the Eagles with the home field advantage? Part of me was actually like, I would like to see the Vikings win this. And obviously they did. But if I'm looking at the way the, you know, the standings are playing out right now, I wouldn't mind having the Vikings to get that second home game if it's most likely the way things are going, San Francisco have to go through there instead of San Francisco getting a home game. Sure. So if you're looking at, you know, trying to size up who could be a contender for the Eagles to face. And look, 
challenge no matter what's going to happen. And obviously, the Eagles would have to handle their business in the divisional round. But, you know, the, the, the fan in me starts looking ahead to potential matchups, and you say yourself— You're also okay. looking ahead, too, like uh, from the other aspect of, like, all right, well, if the Giants get a win, who does that keep out of Correct. the playoffs? Would you yes. rather have, you know, Detroit, Green Bay? You start going through the list. Yeah, no so doubt. you should start playing those things. So, um, now— as of this taping, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be, okay? Could be Jalen Hurts, could be Gardner Minshew once again. Uh, we do know it seems like Lane Johnson is going to miss time. You know, one of the things I'm interested in is, you know, Jack Driscoll has filled in admirably this year, has been able to handle his own at right tackle, and it's one of those scenarios, those silver linings where, all right, player gets injured, okay, well, guy gets some time early in the season. You have a feeling, well, A, you know what he can do, and B, yep. the player is prepared for it. I wonder if, based on the injury situation, would the Eagles ever consider moving Jordan Mailata from left tackle to right tackle and putting Andre Dillard mm. at left tackle? These are, again, things I'm just intrigued by as the Eagles are, you know, getting amped for the, for the playoffs here, you know, trying to think maybe a little more long-term potentially along yep. those lines. And maybe not. And maybe the Eagles might just say, you know, hey, for these next two games, it'll be Jack Driscoll, and we'll, we'll kind of gauge it from there. So we're looking at that defensively, okay, you have Avante Max with a toe injury. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he's eligible to come off injured reserve. He had the lacerated kidney against the Packers. Eligible, but has not yet been activated to practice. As, as of re- this recording. As of this recording, okay. I kind of have the story, like, already at the, at yeah, the ready, right. thinking it's going to happen. We, you know, it's a great storyline. Goes against his former team who he was traded, you know, by all that stuff. But we don't know. As of right now, it's not been activated to practice. So, would the Eagles... and I'm kind of almost thinking about about this. If Gardner Johnson is able to play, would the Eagles put him at in the slot corner, knowing he has the experience there from his time in New Orleans, and keep Reed Blankenship on the back end, or do you say Gardner Johnson was leading the league in interceptions, still tied for the league lead in interceptions, sure. even after the missed time, keep him on the back end, and Josiah Scott, Scott, who's had his ups and downs, he'll know that he's the guy. The right. biggest thing this is, is that, yeah. okay, there's no like, okay, if Avante Max comes out, you'll go in. No, he will be the guy going to this game. So, uh, obviously, looking forward to Eagles getting the home field advantage and pretty much, hopefully, until Glendale, Arizona, not playing another game away from the confines of the link, uh, but also interested to see these potential lineup changes in lieu of the injuries that happened on Saturday. Yeah, I think, too, the the big one when you talk about whether it's Josiah Scott, Jack Driscoll, whoever it is that comes in for those guys, and it was the same for Gardner Minshew, is that when you're a backup in the NFL – there are two ways. There are two like different scenarios. There's the being ready at the drop of a hat on game day to mm-hmm. insert yourself into the lineup and be ready to go as if uh, you know no nothing nothing has changed with the other ten players around you. So uh, you know making sure that you are prepped from that day. Hey, step in and play. And then there's also to your point the hey you know you were the guy all week. You are prepping as the starter all week and. All, different players react differently to that situation, right? And so, um, you know, to both of those situations where some guys are better when, you know what, I know that this is my job this week, this is what I'm doing, as opposed to, hey, I'm a backup right now, I don't know how much I'm going to play, I'm only going to play a handful of snaps, and now all of a sudden I'm an injury away and I'm the the guy, Uh, you know, and you hope that everybody has that mindset of, I'm going to step right in and play, um, but that's not the case with everybody. And so uh, I think there is a, a benefit for those players of having that, you know, knowing going in and saying, you know what, all right, this is my job, whether I'm the right tackle, the nickel corner, uh, whatever it is. And I do think uh, just having the, the friendly confines of Lincoln Financial Field uh, certainly will help in, in a lot of those matters No question. Well. So number two here, most people say when it comes to resolutions, I want to learn a new skill or hobby. 
in okay. the new year. Okay. And you're like, how does this apply to this game? To me, when I look at the New Orleans Saints, it seems like the same New Orleans Saints team that we've seen the last couple seasons. Okay. Now, the Eagles have handled the Saints in the previous meetings. Obviously, Jalen Hurts was that quarterback, but the Saints have a new head coach in Dennis Allen. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator. Okay. Not a ton of change. And quite honestly, the team overall, even after losing a great offensive mind in Sean Payton, it seems like the overall philosophy has carried over that, by and large, it seems like it's still the Sean Payton team just with a new new head coach, even though he was a defensive coordinator, and the offensive coordinator was Pete Carmichael, who was already on the staff beforehand. So, you know, offensively, and, and you and Greg did a great job breaking this down on the podcast earlier this week, you know, it's like the Saints want to run the football, okay? You know, they have arguably the best multi-purpose back in the entire league in Alvin Kamara. You know, they want to beat you up in the trenches. They they run the second highest percentage. I don't know if you you recognize this uh, in your film study. They run the second highest percentage of power in the entire league, second only to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they're old school when it comes to pre-snap motion. Okay, you're not going to see a ton of it. They have not, believe it or not, not run a single reverse, end around, or lateral. This season, that, well, that's the thing. We were—I was talking about this with Greg—is that when you look at the the like anything that you would say in the last like five, six, seven years would be like bells and whistles to an Correct. offense in terms of pre-snap motion and empty and play action and the trick plays. And all, they're like at or bad near the bottom of the league in like all yeah. of those categories. It, really, what it comes down to with them is like the uh, personnel grouping variation, and we got into that a little yes. bit earlier this week, all the Taysom Hill stuff, and then just the formationally, the way they're able to move you around and all the, the speed. Uh, but, um, you know, with Andy Dalton in a quarterback as opposed to, uh, you know, Drew Brees from two years ago, from three mm -hmm. years ago, four years ago, that's a that's a big difference. And obviously, no Sean Payton. No, definitely not there. So you talked about Taysom Hill. You talked a lot about on the previous podcast, the six offensive linemen run it's more. Insane. yeah. You know, 40 more snaps than the next highest team, which is the Buffalo Bills. For comparison, Harrison, the Eagles have run six snaps of six offensive line in this season. The Saints, 135. Yeah. Okay, that's the gap right there. So um, now you're looking at the Saints defense here. Okay, Allen was the defensive coordinator, so it's his fingerprints all over it. Demario Davis, I thought, did a great job talking about him on the previous podcast. I think he's the best three-down linebacker in the game no one is talking about. Mm. And the one element that he's really added to his game this year is the blitz, the pass rush ability. He leads the team in sacks. Yep. Okay, He's been a tackling monster his entire career, but this year, going to the Pro Bowl for the second time, he's added more of that blitz pass rush element to the game. Um, the defense overall, middle of the pack, 13th in DVOA. They're not a huge blitzing team 20% of the time. They will stunt about the same percentage, which is in the higher ranks. They're 10th in the league, tied for 10th in the league. The Cowboys, who the Eagles just played, number one. You know, for comparison's sake, there. Um, but I think a lot big reason that they have to do the stunning is because of the inability of the defensive line to get the pressure on the quarterback. Cam Jordan, you know, is still one of the better defensive linemen in the league, but he's probably not even playing at his peak level. Yep. But Marcus Davenport, okay, former first round pick, half a sack this season. He's not been able to produce leads there. in pressures. Leads the team in pressures um, right now, but yeah, that has not been as productive and actually uh, has not been a starter. Uh, he's the first guy off the bench now. Carl Granderson has, has gotten the snap yeah. of the start the last few weeks at right defensive end. So you look at that now, you look on the back end, okay, they lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson. 
They lost Marcus Williams in free agency to the Ravens. Marshawn Lattimore hasn't played since like week three, Marcus week four, Mays. whatever it is. Yeah, and Marcus, Marcus Mays. Mays he's banged up week. as well. So all that combined here, it's just interesting because you think, okay, they're not. It's not Sean Payton. It's a completely new team. Philosophically, it really isn't. It's just been the same carryover, and they're trying to, I think, find their their offensive philosophy. Yep. And then defensively, you know, this is what they bring to the table. The question is going to be, how will they generate? The points on the offensive side of the ball, and that's been the question with them all season long. Yeah, and you know, and that was the point that Greg made was that you know we could talk about all the different challenges that they present. They have just really struggled to to put the ball in the paint and finish those drives uh, with touchdowns. I, I've got the stat in front of me uh, in terms of how often, yeah, they're they're middle of the pack in terms of touchdown drive percentage. Um, they're middle of the pack in red zone percentage in terms of scoring. So uh, that has been the the big thing is that they have just been unable to finish enough of these drives because I think you know, if you look at them at a number of the other areas like. They move the ball plenty fine. It's just that they, they've struggled to finish those drives. So that gets a great segue into the third point and the resolution that most people will not make in the new year, and that's to save more money. And what do I mean by that is the Eagles just need to cash in on the money situations. You look at the game from Saturday, Eagles and Cowboys were almost mirror images of each other in terms of third down performance. Eagles were 8 of 14, Cowboys 8 of 15, and both 3 of 5 in the red zone. Obviously, the turnovers are the turnovers. You can't turn the ball over four times and expect to win. But you know some of the some of the numbers here from the Dallas drives. Okay, first touchdown drive they converted two third and mid situations, two third and five situations. Dallas's second touchdown drive they converted a fourth and eight, and then on a third and six, which was the touchdown play, it was a thirty-six yard touchdown pass, an explosive play. Yep. Uh, field goal late in the first half, big play on third and seven, a twenty-six yard pass to C.D. Lamb. Um, the Dallas touchdown in the second half that tied the game came on a third and goal right after the Eagles got a sack. Okay, it was a third and goal from the 12. Eagles feeling good, they get the sack. No, didn't matter. They came right back, and Michael Gallup had the nice catch in the end zone for the score. And, of course, we've all lamented the third and 30 play, which really turned the tide of the game. So you know, it's the Eagles were winning the early downs, but in those money situations, they just got to handle their business. And that's the thing is I feel like, you know, People kind of poo-poo like third downs is like oh like yeah but look at the, look at the rest of this and say like oh yeah like you know if you can get off the field on third down like that's great but uh, that's not like one of the more important stats in football. At the end of the day, when you look at why third downs are so important, every individual game comes down to a handful of plays. And those plays on third down are in the red zone are so important because it's the difference between a drive staying alive and or punting. And a lot of those cases where the, the drive stayed alive, it resulted in points. Yeah. And if you're able to get a stop there, that's one less touchdown on the board. You're forcing a punt as opposed to giving up seven points. And so if any of those drives go even just a little bit differently, what happens in the game, in the rest of the game, right? And that's to me is why uh, you know Jonathan Gannon used the uh, the phrase I think a game tilting play that third and thirty, mm-hmm. right? And it's like you you don't know when those plays are going to happen. I think going into it, you say third and thirty, feel pretty good. All right, hey, of we course. did a great job. First down, second down, we're getting off the field here on third and a mile. Well, they, they got a mile and a half, and they were able to to uh, stay on the field and they end up going down and scoring points. So I think at the end of the day, third down uh, on offense, third down on defense. Just so, so pivotal. The red zone scoring, uh, the red zone touchdown percentage, so, so important because those are those plays where you look at how much it can swing a drive, a quarter, and then eventually a game. Uh, the Eagles just did not get off the field well enough on third down in this one against Dallas. The big surprise, just it, it was the explosive plays on top of it. It's the third third down situations you should win that are favorable in your, in your direction, yep. 
but then to give up explosive pass plays, which you have just not seen from this defense all season. So just uncharacteristic in several facets. And yep. That's why that's why the Eagles lost. But you know what? Again, they get to come back home. They win. Now, the Eagles, by the time you listen to this, if Dallas were to lose on Thursday night, obviously the Titans are struggling right now. But if they're to lose, the hey, East is Eagles, locked in. Yep. Eagles have the East. But you know, still, I think most fans would love to see them handle their business at home, get the division title, get the one seat, and have everything wrapped up for that final game against the Giants. Well, hopefully that's what we're talking about a week from now, and you and I can uh, be talking about what are the Eagles going to do in Week 18 with uh, uh, you know, not as much to play for going up against the New York Giants. Well, C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us here for 3 and Out. We'll talk to you next week on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's keep the conversation rolling here with Chalk Talk as I welcome in Ben Fennell. And Ben, uh, getting ready for Eagles Saints. This Saints team, I feel like there's not a lot of juice about, but I, th- I think we're kind of, I think people overall, this is like NFL wide, kind of underselling the Saints. I think there's some interesting things to talk about with this team. They've been beat up with injuries, obviously, injuries on both sides of the football, but uh, plenty to get into here with this football team and, and this matchup. You know, and stylistically, they are what we call a tough out. You know, they're a tough team. They don't beat themselves quite a bit. Obviously, their landscape of the team and their future and injuries has not gone as planned, but they play pretty competitive on a weekly basis. Dennis Allen's a very respective defensive mind, a great leader, good head coach. They have good players, you know, in the trenches. Um, and they're not a team that really roll over on you. And I think the last few weeks, you saw a tough loss to the, the Bucks before their bye week, a good win against the Falcons, and a comeback win on the road last week against the Browns. That's kind of their style right there. So I think they slow the game down. They want you to play their way, which is a little unique, particularly on offense. Uh, But like I started this with, they're a tough out. They're not going to roll over on you. Kind of a blend of vets and young players. Yep. So they're, and there's a little bit of a transition area, right? Right for them at, with a uh, new coaching staff. There's but, an identity crisis yes. in in New Orleans from the head coach, the transformation of leadership at the top, the quarterback position. Yep. You know, the leaders on defense. No more Malcolm Jenkins turning over to the Tyron Matthew era, which is obviously a, a veteran type presence. So who's the future identity of this team? You know, is it built through Ryan Ramchek to the world? Is it Pete Warner? Is it Marshawn Lattimore? They're kind of figuring things out. They're an exciting team moving forward. They're kind of anxious to get to the offseason, uh, and I'm excited to see the future of the Saints. And that's the thing is like going in, you know, you and I, we've said for a while, watching that Dennis Allen defense has been one of the, our favorite units to study. Uh, we've, the Eagles have played the Saints, what, each of the last three or four years? And so watching that team over the course of that time span, we've really come to admire what they've done defensively, all the different sub packages, what they've done against the run, even with light boxes, uh, the way they're able to create pressure, all the pressure packages on third down. And I think the bones of that are still there, but to your point, uh, they've moved on from some players. Some of the guys that have been there have gotten a little bit older, are not as effective. So while the bones of it are still there, the the overall like volume and effectiveness have, ju- have just dropped a little bit. But that said, they still give you a lot to worry about and to plan for on that side of the ball. Yeah, and a bit of a youth movement, which is exciting in its own right. But there's pros and cons. You realize some you know young players maybe don't have it, and then you realize you fell into something really exciting, like an Alante Taylor, a Paulson Adebo, and you're getting young guys in there. Pete Warner looks like he's approaching a Pro Bowl level level linebacker yep. in a year or two. Uh, unfortunately, had the ankle injury, Been missed hurt. a month or so, but he's back out there. Started last week. Hopefully, we'll see him on Sunday next to Demario Davis, another Pro Bowl linebacker. They're kind of finding their way. I like the incorporation of young talent, which is a team that 
hasn't quite taken the Rams approach of F those picks, but pretty close. And uh, next year, not a whole lot of draft capital either. So this could be a team dipping into the free agent market and maybe another veteran quarterback heading that way. And we we can talk through that identity real fast on that side of the ball, you know, especially when you get to third down. We had Greg Cosell break that down for Mm -hmm. us uh, where it's essentially – ton of man coverage. It yep. used to be a lot of two-man. You made the point on Twitter uh, on Monday night that it's <laughs> less two-man than you might think just because those numbers are down around the NFL. But man coverage on third down with the, a 3-2-6 dime package where both linebackers stay on the field. Werner, uh, it's been lately uh, Caden Ellis, uh, Christian Ellis's uh, older brother. Yep. Um, but it's been Ellis and Demario Davis, and those guys are both very involved with the pressure package. So you're going to get all those guys up on the line of scrimmage and a lot of man coverage behind it. That puts a lot of pressure on you as an offense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been Dennis Allen's identity. This is the team that's given Tom Brady and the Bucks, you know, trouble the past few years. Big, heavy corners, play man-to-man with a variety of ways to pressure you. Not only in their front, but those linebackers like to attack quarterbacks as well. Demario Davis, absolutely uh, Pro Bowl caliber linebacker, although it pains me not to see TJ Edwards out there, that Pro Bowl nod, but... We'll save that for another In day. Time. Yeah, but you know what you're getting from Dennis Allen's group, and they're still one of the more respected and feared groups in the NFL. So t- talking about the Saints defense, we now can transition over to this Eagles offense and the matchup there. Uh, one player we had to talk about coming off of Saturday night, no, Saturday's performance – Devontae Smith, and just like you and I had just so much fun watching some of the catches he made in this game against the Cowboys. The body control uh, was the number one trait we talked about coming out of that. Well, don't lose sight of what's important at the receiver position. Catching the football should still be the number one trait, skill set, requirement, duty, ask of receivers. And I think we get so enamored with size and length and speed, explosiveness, uh, you know, uh, linear speed, all those different metrics you want to poke and prod these guys. And I feel like we lose sight of just the baseline essence of what the receiver's job is. Catch the football. That's what Devontae Smith brings. That's what A.J. Brown brings first and foremost on their resume, right under their name, catching the football savant. And I think that's what you see from Devontae Smith. Now, it's impressive that he does it in that kind of slight undersized frame. But his hand-eye coordination, his play strength, his balance, his body control, his ability to play through contact, finish through contact, not every ball is going to be perfect on Saturdays, on Sundays. That's okay. That's going to happen. It doesn't mean you don't make a play on the ball. It's great to see Devontae Smith catch the football no matter where it's thrown. And that is my favorite quality of these top receivers, particularly Devonta Smith. It's one of the best things that a quarterback can have, a young quarterback that is still developing and still improving, is having a player that um, just on a day can be just in the zone and anything thrown his direction he's going to bring in. It just so happens that Jalen Hurts has two of those guys, and both guys <laughs> have proven this year that they can just go like other world and say, you know what, throw it in my direction, I'm going to come down with it. And, and A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, certainly two of those well, guys. Not only is it a trust and a belief and a confidence from your quarterback to know I could put it in the area, and he's not going to hang me out to dry. Yep. Maybe he won't catch the ball, but he's going to compete for it. It won't get picked. Not only is it a trust and confidence in the quarterback receiver, It's also a producer. It also moves the ball down the field by making those catches and those plays on the ball. So it helps everybody. And, you know, the NFL is tough business, especially for quarterbacks. You know, your left guard gets beat and you have to hurry your motion and short stride a throw. That throws off accuracy. 
You don't get to just then say, well, coach, this, this, this happened. That's why it wasn't a perfect throw. You have to get the job done in any way that you can. Not every pass is going to be perfect out there. You have to still make a play on it. And you see that from guys like Devontae Smith all the time, and it's so appreciated. And it's something that, from a defensive standpoint, like you have to prepare for, it sounds silly, you have to prepare for Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, obviously, right? But you have to go into a matchup knowing, hey, like I have to fight at the catch point on every single one of these reps, which means that you might get guys that might get a little bit over-aggressive at times to make sure I get to the catch point to contest this throw. Maybe you get there a little bit early. Maybe now you're you're setting up double moves later. We saw that uh, in this game, right? And so being able to to have those kinds of presence uh, you know, on the outside for Jalen is not it doesn't it's not just important for Jalen but for the offense as a whole and I think that will be big here for this team going into the postseason um, another big news from the uh, from the offense as well we talked about it last segment with C-Mac uh, the injury to Lane Johnson uh, and uh, the reports are all over the place in terms of you know what the time frame will be Nick Sirianni never will put a, a timetable uh, on the you know, out there for a player but it seems like based off reports that uh, Lane will try and make a, 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 a return for sometime in the postseason but uh, at this point, it, it will be. It looks like it'll probably be Jack Driscoll, but uh, I think when you look at uh, Lane Johnson, that's that's a big loss for this yeah, offense. Disappointing to lose Lane and yep. his caliber of player, but this is a situation, a scenario this team's handled before. Even that Super Bowl run, I know a lot of love went, goes to Nick Foles and you know some of the other backups that had to plug and play. Big V played left tackle, what, 80% of that season? Maybe even more? So I think this is things you've gone through with Jeff Stoutland, with some of the guys in this locker room, and a Jack Driscoll. It's a guy with 14 career starts. Yep. He got starts at left tackle, you know, left tackle this season, guys. He started left tackle this season for the Philadelphia Eagles. He got starts at right guard, right tackle. Started at right tackle his first NFL game. No question. Up against Chase Young. Yep. And did just fine. This is a guy with 45 starts in college between UMass and Auburn. This is no spring chicken out there. This is a third-year disciple in the school of Jess Stoutland. Nobody in that offensive room, offensive line room, quarterback room, offensive meeting room is worried about a Jack Driscoll stepping in. Now, it's certainly disappointing to lose a Lane Johnson. It's an impressive player. Obviously, mm. it's a loss to lose a Lane Johnson, but there's no sweat and no panic. They're going to figure out what is Jack like, what is maybe struggle with a little bit, because every player has pros and cons, yep. and then go from there and keep it moving. And I think you'll, uh, you'll see this offense operate like it has uh, with or without Lane. All right, let's go over to the defensive side of the football where uh, we had, uh, you know, I, I asked, uh, basically when, when we go into a week, I'll ask Greg Cosell, I'll ask Ike Reese, Mike Quick, what do you guys want to talk about? What do you, what, what gives you a lot of juice about this matchup? And we'll, we'll kind of paint the picture around that. And Ike was overjoyed to discuss mm-hmm. Josh Sweat and a little bit overdue, right? And from, in terms of our show, we hadn't done a, a Josh Sweat centric segment. We've done Hassan Reddick and Hargrave and Cox. We've done all these guys up front, but we haven't done a Sweat segment. And obviously he had the pick six. So we did something around that. I was that, about but, to say, you just texted Josh Sweat. Hey, Ike Reese, you have to specify, what do you want? You're <laughs> going to specify after a game like that. You want the coverage plays? You want the run stuff in plays? You want the plays away from the ball? Oh, the Pass rush plays. Yeah, that's and that's the thing. We ended up going with the rush, and I think at the end of the day, what made his his uh, the, that solo sack in this game against Dallas so impressive. You know, we, we obviously Hassan Reddick has had a huge season, right? And uh, he is a very compact rusher. And one of the things, the, the best parts about Hassan Reddick is that he is a, a very like compact package for an offensive tackle to try and punch and get his hands on. He's he's a hard target to be able to hit. For Josh Sweat, he's built the exact opposite. He is long and broad, and his wingspan is in like the, the you know nine. 
90th percentile of all players uh, in the league right now coming off the edge. But when you look at his ability to, to re- it's called reduce the surface area, and you talk about this with receivers beating the jam at the line of scrimmage, you talk about it with pass rushers, uh, don't allow the offensive lineman to get a hand on you. Sweat's ability to clear the edge and then turn the corner with force and with play strength and maintain that balance uh, to turn the corner and accelerate – that's what sets him apart. He's not a guy that just goes. He's a very technical rusher. Yeah. From his first step, which is very clean, his pass rush plan, his counter moves, his hand usage, his protecting his body and torso from contact like you had just mentioned. One of my favorite sacks, you saw the, the Redick uh, spin move on the inside against the right tackle. Great complimentary rush with your one edge going in, then sweat winning high side. So Redick essentially flushes out the quarterback, and then you know uh, sweat cleans him up. And that's by, and that's by for our listeners like that's by design to where you're drawing that on the board to say like okay if the quarterback steps up we've got an answer if he right. rolls to his right we've got an answer if he goes left we have an answer that's how a pack of lions typically attack prey too someone will flush them out to the pack mm. kind of thing and i just see like the, the, the uh, like the drone and helicopter yeah, footage of, like yep. dolphins like uh going for like schools of fish exactly and yep, way. same same way yep. and i don't really feel like that's representative of josh sweat because that sounds like a cleanup type of duty mm. josh sweat in fact among edge rushers in the NFL, has the best average time to hurry. This guy wins, and he wins quickly. And he wins quickly in comparison to the rest of the league. In fact, the quickest with edge rushers with at least 150 pass rush snaps. This is a guy that is an elite edge rusher this year. Mm. He's technically sound, he's long, plays the run exceptionally well, and wins quickly. Josh Sweat deserves attention. He's playing at an exceptionally high level. And listen, there's a lot of names on this Eagles defense. There's a lot of new parts. There's a lot of conversations, lack of better words. And it's just old 94 out there, ho-hum, holding down that right DN spot. And everyone talks about Brandon Graham aging and the new free agents and Hargraves playing well and Jordan Davis. And we just signed Sue and Linval and free agent linebackers. And TJ got a Pro Bowl snub and Chauncey Gardner. And you know what I'm saying here. Yep. Don't forget about Josh Sweat out there. He's playing really good football and is slowly emerging into one of those edge rushers you have to watch every week. And what I love about uh, that story as well with Sweat is that it wasn't like he came out of the box this way, no. right? Like year one was basically a redshirt year. Year two, you saw flashes of him starting to put it together. Year three was where he really hit his stride. Year four, he becomes a full-time starter. Great right? risk, risk value pick by yeah, this front office yep. and, and Howie Roseman in selecting that type of player out of Florida State. That's exactly uh, you know what you kind of draw up from that standpoint as a, as a successful pick. Um, the other thing we talked about from this side of the ball in this matchup, and I think it's it's big for you and I to talk about as well, uh, the Taysom Hill package. And I think uh, it's he's all, almost kind of like become a, a meme and a joke, I think, in terms of like general football discourse. is like, oh, like, ta to like Taysom Hill. Like, oh, he's not a real quarterback. He's not this. At the end of the day, like, he is a real pain in the you-know-what to, like, prepare for from a mental standpoint. There's just a lot to get ready for, especially with the way they're using him this year. Yeah, absolutely. He's a unique player. He's a creative player. He's a tough player. He's a versatile player, and they get every ounce out of that. They pay him quite a bit, and they know that, and they feature him in the offense, and it's an unconventional type of featuring, which we all know those kind of reflections from Saturday. You obviously worked with Temple. You have one or two triple option teams. Throws off your whole year. Yep. 
And that's kind of what Taysom Hill throws a grenade into your preparation. That's that one, every team ebbs, 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 and all of a sudden you have to prepare for a flow team. Pro tip, by the way, if you're a college team, like that's why you schedule both Army and Navy, so right. then at least it's two weeks and not just one where you're completely thrown Right, off. exactly. Yeah. So get the best bang for your buck out there. Those those one and done triple no, options. No, that's, that's, that's when you're that's screwed. That's brutal, yes, absolutely yes. brutal out there. You try to dedicate five minutes to it in every practice for that one game, it never goes well. Right. But Taysom Hill is very unique, and it's unique from a personnel package preparation in traditional personnel you hear 11 12 13 22 guys on the sideline eagles are going to hold those up when the saints deploy and go into the huddle however the saints with another quarterback sometimes on the field andy dalton not to mention they love their extra o-line sometimes two extra o-line so when you get into personnel groupings and labelings it's like 12 asterisks plus q so when you're looking on the sideline this week and maybe you're in the stadium Look at the Eagles' defensive coaches and what type of personnel signs they're holding up because they're not conventional. And I think that's kind of the fun and the weirdness of the Saints offense and that they do some things that aren't particularly conventional. We're used to our standard personnel groupings. The Saints operate a little bit differently, which makes the preparation a little different as well. And that's the thing is you talk about that when it comes to preparing for like Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Like, oh, well, this is what they do with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, oh, well, you know, 11 personnel doesn't just mean 11 personnel with those guys. It's the same thing with Taysom Hill. You could you could say if you just if you're very generic and say 11, 12, 13 personnel, you are screwed going into this game because that's not the way that they play. Uh, You know, all the different combinations. Might be some new wrinkles, too. You know, in our base defense, we play a lot of that 5-2 kind of ob front. Yep. Might be some 4-3 this week. Yeah. Might be the first time you see a little maybe, uh, you know, N'Kobe Dean mm. on the second level with TJ and Kaiser. Might be a few, not saying I've seen that at all, but just throwing wrinkles to battle other other right. wrinkles like the Saints. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and so I know you've pulled a lot of numbers. Um, one that stood out to me, just going through it and just kind of staying on this uh, this, uh, this one. Yep. This was, you know, it was funny because we were watching and we, a lot of the games we watched were over the last uh, few weeks, right, with the Saints offense. And it's just a ton of 6-0 line, a ton, a ton of the first-round pick, Trevor Penning in there, who's the backup left tackle. Uh, and he's the extra guy that comes in. And it felt like it was a lot. But then you look at the numbers and it was like, oh, they're, they're top five. I think they were fifth in, in the entire season. All right, well, what if we just – like shrink the sample size down. Let's take the first few weeks out. Oh, it's from week six. They're they're still this percentage. All right. Well, what happens if you started at week ten? All right. What if you just look at the last month? The last four games, one out of every three plays have six offensive linemen on the field. I've never seen anything like that. That is just mind blowing stuff. You know the Taysom Hill packages, the six seven O line were facets of the offense. But once the kind of Jameis era slowly died for this season, they went full force in saying this is who we are. And we kind of knew that was their identity. So I pulled some suggestive plays for our show. Mm. And it was like, well, look at this big play for Ann 6-0 line. This pl- big play had 6-0 line. Look at this big play had 6-0 line. Then we suddenly realized every, every other play has 6-0 <laughs> line. And it wasn't a you know a particular feature in the offense as much as it's their foundation in the offense now, which is very rare. Yep. But I'll go on to the other side. Eagles offense, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, we talk about their ability to win at the catch point. Yep. A lot of that happens against man-to-man coverage. Yep. Well, they're number two and number three. In receiving yards against man coverage this mm. season, trailing only the you know the very impressive Justin Jefferson up in Minnesota, that's the most for any Eagles receiver in the next gen era. Wow! So it's very impressive to see these guys winning in the route, winning at the catch point, and a lot of that happening in man to man coverage. And it wasn't that long ago that 2020 season where a lot of things went up and down. The team leader was Travis Fulgham with 159 yards. Wow! 
this season, both Brown and Smith are well over four and 500 yards. It's just great to see that level of production. Devonta Smith had 118 yards against man against mm. Chicago. Because I was just going to say, he almost games, surpassed yeah. Travis Fulgham's total in one game. That's wild. So you just reflect on that 2020 season, obviously Jalen Rieger, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham. 2022 Eagles, it's incredible to see the new talent on the outside and the new alpha presence in the receiver room and guys that can beat man coverage and win at the catch point. Outstanding. So any listeners out there that may be a little unhappy with your receiver rooms out there, you can fix it like that. Yep. You just need to make the right moves and uh, have the right vision to look ahead. And pull the right levers. That'll yep. get you where you need to go. Well, Ben, this has been great. Really appreciate you once again joining us here for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you again next week. Great stuff there from Ben, who, and we talked a little bit there about our Eagles game plan show. Well, I left some, uh, I got some leftovers there, some stuff that landed on the cutting room floor from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. Due to time constraints, couldn't squeeze it in. Kept it all here, right for you. Yeah, when you watch Devontae Smith, the body control he has, I've been trying to figure out what receiver does he remind me of. And the only guy, only guy I could come up with was former 49ers wide receiver. Not that guy, Brandon Lloyd. Brandon Lloyd used to make some of the most difficult catches, made them look easy. And that's what I'm seeing with Devontae. The body control that he has, whether it's in the middle of the field, the concentration, where he took the big hit and got flipped, still held onto the ball. And then your favorite, as well as mine, Mike, the toe drag swag on the side line. Unbelievable. He's made several of those catches. His body control, his confidence in his hands is unlike anything we've seen around here in a long time. So Greg showed us the challenge of the Saints defense. They're a decent defense and the Eagles now are going to have to go the last couple games here without Lane Johnson. How big of a loss is that and how do you make up for it? It's a big loss, but in Jeff Stoutland, we trust. You know, Jeff Stoutland University, they work with these guys constantly, making sure that the backup guys understand what they should be doing. And we've seen a lot of play out of Jack Driscoll in past years, and he's gotten a lot of time on task. I think Jack Driscoll will do a very good job. you got to understand, though, he's been in the apprenticeship program He's got his undergrad, but now he's going to get his master's now in Scotland, in Jeff Stoutland's university. Yeah, and these guys are excited to get their opportunity to go out there and play. So I'm sure who's ever over there replacing Lane at that position is going to be excited and be well prepared. The next man up mentality is something this organization has thrived on for decades, quite frankly. I'm a yeah. role player. I played a role for nine years, and when my number was called, I had to be ready to go. And most of the time, when the players come in, they are well prepared. And that's a reflection of the great coaching that they're getting and the position group and how all these guys seemingly work together. You get enough reps during the week that if your number is called, you're prepared to go in there and play. I have no concerns about whomever's out there playing because I think the unit as a whole will be ready to go. You're so right, John. When you talk about this being the best or one of the best offensive lines in football, it's not just a one through five. They can go seven, eight deep and still be a very good offensive line, one of the best in football. Yeah, we saw a couple of years ago that they got a lot of experience when they had like 11 or 12 different linemen playing in different yes. combinations. How about Landon Dickerson, first Pro Bowl? How about some of the blocks he made in the Dallas game? What did you see? Big guy, man. He moves bodies. And that's what you want to see. When you put him and Jordan Mailata next to each other, any type of tag, combination blocks, they're going to move the line of scrimmage. And this kid has grown each and every week. He's getting better, not only in the run game, where he certainly thrives at, but even in the passing game, you can see that he's relying on his technique versus getting out of the framework of what they want to do. And it's allowing for him to have success. Congratulations to the young man making his first Pro Bowl. It really helps that he has Jason Kelsey, too 
to his right, and he has Jordan Mailata to his left. But he plays such good football. He's a big, smart guy. And like I said, he moves bodies. And it's nice to see that this early in his career, he's starting to get recognition because he's just that good. I had trouble controlling myself sitting in the booth when I saw Josh Sweat extend and intercept the football and start taking it back the other way. And the stiff arm, I thought, on Dak Prescott was just perfect. But this defense, over the last four games, they've had six sacks each game. How do you do that? And how do you keep that up against an offensive line that's pretty good? I think the Saints' offensive line is a solid offensive line. They're tough to beat. But this defense has to continue to do that because the Saints have weapons on the outside. They've got speedy guys. They've got strong guys. I love the young tight end out of Glassboro, New Jersey, Jawan Johnson. He's been playing excellent football. So they are going to have to get to the quarterback. They're going to have to get some hits on Dalton. So how much of a challenge is the gimmick of Taysom Hill? Well, I mean, some people like to refer to it as a gimmick. I look at him like he's just a football player on the offensive side of the football, right? He can line up at quarterback. He can line up at running back. They use him at fullback. They'll use him at tight end. They'll slot him out to a slot wide receiver. I tell you what, don't be surprised if he throws the ball down the field. He has a strong enough arm that he can get the ball down the field. It's not just the run game when Taysom Hill is out there. He has the ability to throw the ball and catch it as well. There's so many things that they do that I believe that this defense for the Eagles have to really be on their assignments because of all of the things that they do. Watching the last two games of the New Orleans Saints, they're snapping the ball to three different people. They'll snap it to Andy Dalton in the shotgun. They'll snap it to Kamara in the backfield. And they'll also snap it to Taysom Hill. When all of these different guys are lining up almost at what you would call the quarterback position, what's your assignment when you're a defensive guy? Because they do so many different things. With the quarterback, they have these quarterback powers with Taysom Hill. And with Kamara, they've got the Wildcat, and they do so many cool things, I think, offensively. So for the defense of the Eagles, they really have to be keyed in on their assignments because I just think that the mental gymnastics are going to be strong in this game for the defensive side for the Eagles. Mental gymnastics, I like that. Now, without Avante Maddox, we saw some issues in the secondary against the Cowboys. How important is the communication going to be with all those assignments? Big time. I mean, you really have to be out there, uh, pre-snap recognition, and then you you mentioned it, the communication. Don't be afraid to talk to the guy next to you. Let him know, hey, I got him, you got him. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not giving away secrets. What we often do is we think we know what we're supposed to do, and we tend to be nonverbal out there on the field, and that's where you can have mistakes happen. So our communication needs to be plentiful pre-snap so that everybody is on the same page. This New Orleans offense has a difficult time moving the football from a conventional standpoint. So they have to do things that are unconventional. They're trying to get you to make a mistake somewhere and not be prepared. We have to make sure that we are out there communicating with each other and don't be afraid to do that. And be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. Goes up Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or if you live here in Philadelphia, Sunday, 10 a.m. on NBC10 here in Philadelphia. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to all of them. And thank you to you as well for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.